Welcome to The Talking Dead, a podcast about all things deathly. We're Nicole and Rose from End Stage Matters, and we're death doulas, lifting the lid on topics we find fascinating. We're all going to die, so let's be open and curious about death, dying, loss and grief, and in the process, live our lives more fully. Hi, Rose. How are you going today? I'm great, thanks, Nick. How are you? <laughs> Very well, thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the end of October, or nearly. Yes, and isn't it going quickly? What an amazing year. Yes, it has been. Yes, what a Quite journey. extraordinary. Yeah, now today we're going to be talk, talking about palliative care and the benefits of booking into palliative care early and getting that support. So we're really going to talk about our experiences with palliative care because they're both very different. Mine's from a volunteer perspective and Rose's from the medical perspective in palliative care. So today I'm just going to ask Rose some questions about her experiences with palliative care and what is palliative care. And then I'm going to ask you some questions about your experiences (laughs) with palliative care. Yes, that's right. So Because um, it's October and we've decided to dedicate uh, this this month to um, palliative care. So our newsletter has got palliative care resources in it. We're just about to send that out. Uh, yeah, so um, we think that it's definitely a worthwhile uh, area of end-of-life care, clearly, to um, to talk about and put a bit of a focus on. Yeah, it's kind of like the white elephant in the room. Sometimes, yes. Yeah. So, Rose, tell me about your experiences <laughs> with palliative care and what is palliative care? Yes. All right. So, uh, having been a nurse for so many years, I, I and I have always been drawn to palliative care. It just seems like it was something that that really always captured my attention, even from a very early, uh, you know, early on when I started my nursing. Um, I just had this um, this real affinity and a more more of an interest in um, medical nursing and uh, people who are at the end of life and caring for people who are dying. Uh, I know, you know, it used to be most of my colleagues were all into the, you know, theatre nursing and surgical nursing and that was sort of where it was all at. But for me, uh, no other nursing really had held the same kind of um, appeal because I think probably, you know, because I'm I'm a fairly spiritual person and like to sort of uh, interact on a, a deeper level with people. And a lot of the time... Nursing itself, particularly surgical nursing and theatre nursing, particularly, um, you have this couple of interactions with the patient, and then they're out the door, and bye. <laughs> it's all very superficial, and that never really um, appealed to me. So, um, I did courses, and then you know ended up in oncology, um, and then studied palliative care, uh, and it's it's been you know I, I really enjoy it. I, I just um, I, I just find it so rewarding. It's just um, you know I'm sure you can relate to that too. It just it's it's the only sort of um, part side of nursing that um, I really um, I really sort of connect with. And of course these days, as everyone gets older, a lot of our patients, even in the acute ward. Um, are all ageing and all sort of inching closer to <laughs> what appears to be their end of life. So uh, end of life ne- nursing and end of life care um, is going to become more and more prevalent and it's incumbent upon the nursing profession to get their heads around it and to teach our young nurses um, how to uh, 
adequately care for and minister to people who are at the end of their lives. So, so what? So define palliative care. So is it? Okay. Yes. So how? What's the definition yeah. of palliative care, Rose? Uh, well, I've got the. Um, I'm going to quickly um, call up the definition on my computer here. Um, palliative care was developed specifically the, the discipline of palliative care was developed in the UK by a woman called Cecily Saunders. I can't exactly remember when it was, early 20th century, as far as I know. Um, and um, uh, she, she just had this um, uh, real dedication to uh, providing people with um, good quality care that, that improved people's lives and and supported people to live well until they died. And that was the main thing, you know, just because your life uh, appears to be ending and, and, and it seems like the body's giving out, it doesn't mean that we just turn our backs and you've just got to sort of get through these last weeks or months or however long it is, um, either sucking sucking down the morphine or being in <laughs> intractable pain or other symptoms. Yeah, there's a lot we can do, and I think the um, the discipline of palliative care has uh, grown and grown and continues to develop. And um, yeah, there's a lot of research going on, um, and it's it's being um, developed in uh, more of uh, the third world countries as well, the developing countries. Um, there's a lot of work going on there. Um, so yeah, I think that's that's yeah. it's basically helping people to live as long as they can, as well as they can. Yeah, it's so focus on quality. Yeah, more quality than quantity. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. So your experiences with this, Rose? Can you tell me some of your experiences yes. with palliative, being palliative care nurse? Um, well, I, I did a lot of on, I worked in oncology for a few years in Melbourne. Um, and that was that was very rewarding because we had the op opportunity on that ward that we that was at um, at Western Hospital. I was part of the ward, the development of that um, uh, specialty ward, and we uh, would look after our patients all the way through. Say if you know we were treating them for their cancer, they had their day chemotherapy on the in the ward, you know, the, the day chemo ward was situated right inside the ward. Um, so they'd come through and they'd see all the nurses every single time. We They walked past us to get to the day, day chemo and if they needed uh, any kind of care or interventions in between the, while they were having treatment, they would come to us. And so everybody knew each other. We all worked together. Um, and then uh, if their treatment um, wasn't successful in putting them into remission or curing as such, uh, then they would come to us um, for palliation and to die. So we saw, you know, the full gamut, which was a, a great way. It was very holistic. Um, mm. It was lovely to see um, that model. And um, unfortunately, that doesn't happen very often anymore, I don't think. It's not, a, it's, you know, we're all busy in our specialties. You know, the, the day chemo is separate to the ward and the ward, the, the oncology ward is all about curing and saving um, and then, and it, it's a it's a real shame to separate oncology and palliative care because it's sort of for the person who's having their treatment. It's like um, this is a group of people that we're all all we're focused on is getting you better, mm. and we're going to keep on treating you. 
And then as soon as it doesn't look like the treatment is working, then we say, well, sorry, off you go. Now you can go down the hall or down to the basement or wherever it is yeah. and go and see those other people over there, the palliative care people. And it's a real disconnection. It's it's a shame and it must it must play on people. It must have that effect, I think, on patients yeah. who are receiving that, that kind of care to be sort of transferred. Now, we can't do anything more for you, so off you go to the palliative care people. And it's a pity and I, I think that, that model that we had at Western was really... Um, Really, it was so holistic, and it just cared for the whole person. It was a very, a very positive place to work. I, I loved my time there. It was, it was great. Um, and what was your original question? Uh, well, just some experiences, stories, yeah, yeah, and experiences, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fascinating area. Um, some of the things that I've learned about cultures and families and all the nuances and the, the tricky ethical questions like, you know, do we tell mum she's dying? Or then the family will say, don't you dare, you can't tell her. You know, some some cultures will will impose that on us. And it does put the nurse in a, or the medical staff and healthcare providers in a very tricky situation because, you know, we're all about full disclosure and, yeah, the patient has every right to know and patient autonomy and all that sort of thing. But um, as we get older, I think, or as I get older, I realise that there's a lot more levels to things like that. And and sometimes there is um, great value in listening to the family and saying, okay, well, you know your parent or your, your family member much better than we do and you also know your culture and what will work and who are we to go trampling over mm. that, really. And it's yeah. not... It's, um, it's, it's being respectful. A lot of the, yes, it yeah. is. That's right. And it's not necessarily our job to, to just go charging in and blundering in sometimes. Um, so, yes, uh, I think a lot of the time, though, my experience has been that underneath it all, the person who's actually dying, they know they're dying. <laughs> and so it's this game that the family play and that they have to play it. They have to play it out like that. So the person themselves know they're dying, but they're not going to tell their family that they know. And the family come along and say, don't tell dad he's dying. It'd be terrible. It'd kill him. <laughs> and so, so they they play this, they have this little dance until the person dies and everybody's happy. Yeah. You know? uh, yeah. It's, such a, it's such a sad thing, really, not to be able to speak about what's happening with that person to their family. Yes. Yeah. It, well, it can be. Yeah. It just, it just depends. Sometimes that's exactly how it's meant to be. Mm. Um, I think it's, um, it's, a bit, it's a bit easy to, to sort of have a, a narrow view of this is what it should be like, you know, mm. this is what quality of life looks like. Yeah. We should always tell the patient the truth. Um, the, the family should always be talking to the to the person who's dying, you know, like there's there's a million, billions of ways to die. Yeah, that's right. Um, and everybody has their own way of, of getting out of here. Um, and I don't think uh, anybody else has the right to tell you what that's going to look like. Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. think that that's comes back to, you know, what does a good death look like? You know, there's been a lot of talk lately you know, in the, in the first stages of palliative care, it's everybody needs to be, have a good death and um, no one dies alone and all these little catch cries. And now we're sort of getting, we're growing through that and sort of seeing, well, what's a good death actually? And is that, is even saying, yeah, you must have a good death, is that a, a, a big pressure on people to sort of say, oh, now, I've, now I, you know, I'm, I'm dying. It's not, not enough that I'm dying. Now I have to have a good death. And if I don't have a good death, oh, my God, <laughs> 
what's going to happen then? Yeah, and it really is define what is a good death. You know, what's yes. what's good for you is not good for somebody Absolutely. else. And what's, you know, there's a lot of people that die when their family members have walked out of the room because it's yes. nice and quiet and they go by exactly. themselves. Yeah. And they don't want to be yeah. around people when yes. that's happening. So, so it's, yeah, you, you can't be prescriptive in any way really. Yeah. I think, well, for me, I guess um, the only definition I would have of a good death is uh, dying the way the person would want. Yeah, that's really. right. And, I guess that that would lead me to pers- talking about my personal experiences yes. with palliative care and, and um, helping um, my my mate Bill last year to die in the way that he wanted. He um, he had uh, seen a, a sister die um, and his parents, and he'd been sort of fairly involved in both of those. And I know that he he that his sister's death weighed on him quite heavily because. Um, I think she had expressed in her you know, in her end of life stage, you know, in the last few days, that she was unhappy with a few things about how things were going, and the people that were around her, and that I think he perceived that, and she probably said that too, that she she wasn't really dying the way she wanted to, and so he was absolutely adamant that this is he would he would get that, and I was absolutely adamant that I would make sure that it happened. Um, so his, he died here at home, which is fantastic. It was, um, yeah, an amazing experience to be able to do that, to help him. You know, luckily, um, like he needed, we needed a bit of help and I certainly had a great little team of people around me. But um, I, we were very lucky because he wasn't suffering from, you know, really terrible symptoms. Um, and so uh, it was fairly straightforward looking after him, thank goodness. Um, and uh, I just I knew that he wanted to die fairly um, with with as little fanfare as possible. He didn't want millions of people in the room mm. all all sort of wringing their hands and weeping and all that sort of thing. Um, and so um, I was able to control that, which was great. Um, and uh, yeah, he he died exactly the way he wanted to. And in fact, as you say, you know they they a lot of people die when you go out of the room. He um, he'd been in a coma for several days, and we were just you know doing things like cutting his toenails, <laughs> and you know, and then we'd come in and have a chat about this and that. And we, you know, the room was at times there was he was busy sort of being unconscious and labouring through his death, his dying, um, and you know the room would be there'd be different people coming in and out at different times, but it was the same little group of people. It was myself and my colleague, Georgie, who came to help me. She came, she moved in to help me look after him. Um, and his sister was here and my sister. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a bit like a, a, a little sort of um, monastery, <laughs> but it was just those people. And there was there was one or two people who would pop in, but it was pretty much that. And so we'd come in and go out and come in. And uh, the night that he died, um, everything was quiet. I was just laying next to him, snuggled up. And uh, I drifted off to sleep. And when I woke up, he had died. And I think that's exactly the way he, I think he planned it exactly that way. Yeah. Um, he, he still wanted to go out on his own terms and by himself because that was very much who he was. He was a very independent person, lived his life um, on his own terms, you know, unapologetically and fiercely. Um, and so I think, uh, that's exactly the way he wanted to go. And 
yeah, an enormous privilege to be able to take mm. care of someone like that and yeah. to see that all play out. Yeah, mm. which is lovely. Yeah. Thank you. Mm. Yeah. So. What about you? My experience was um, I'm a palliative care volunteer. This, this year's not been much happening because of COVID, mm. so we haven't been able to be volunteering out in the community. But last year I supported a person and his wife in um, as a volunteer as palliative care. And I went every week for three hours to sit with my person mm. and to chat with him. And that was all we were, I was there for, to chat with him and be with him while his wife went off to yeah. do the shopping or to do the bowling. So it gave her a break. And we would have many discussions about yeah. his life. And I learned a lot about his life. Yeah. And things that he wanted to share with me, he didn't necessarily want to share with his family. So we had lots of different conversations and, and sometimes we just sat in silence. It was just beautiful. So did you get training on um, how to how to sit in silence with someone and how to draw people out or was it just your own natural ability to do that? <laughs> I think I have a natural ability anyway. Yeah. But we were trained for palliative care volunteering and very clearly defined our roles in volunteering volunteering. Yeah, yeah, I'd imagine so. Yeah, so I was trained by Aubrey Wodonga Health Palliative mm -hmm. Care Team and also the Pastoral Care. Um, yeah, yep. Catherine okay. is with Pastoral Care. Yeah. So we did our training there. There was three of us that did it and they're a great team to be part mm. of. We met. We we were supposed to meet every month and debrief and talk about you know things that have happened with us, not specifically about you know that person because there's a whole lot of confidentiality around it, but just in general terms, we had really good support, mm. and yeah, it's um it's a wonderful experience yeah I think you raised a really good point when you said um, there were things that he shared with you that he wasn't necessarily willing to share with his wife or any of his family I think that's um that's a really um important uh aspect of volunteering and and sitting with people who are dying um and supporting people who are dying there there are things that that they can't share with um, their nearest and dearest, don't they? Yeah, because they're concerned that it might upset them and they don't want to do that. Mm. So, yeah, it was lovely. And this person also, um, they were downsizing, moving house, moving into a retirement village. So all of these things were happening each oh, week when yeah. I was going there. So oh. it was a massive shift in their life and they just got a new car, like they'd ordered a new car as well and and all of these things were happening and he was realising that he wasn't going to be part of yes. the future of, you know, getting the new car or being able to drive the new car or anything yeah. of those Yes, yeah, all those so, losses that you... Um, yeah, so he would express them. We'd just... And we might yeah. just sit, be sitting there watching telly and all of a sudden he'll stop and say, I'm not able to do this anymore, can I? Mm. I will never be able to do this. And you just say, no, yeah. no. Yes. Yeah. 
So I think it's just acknowledging too and allowing that person to go through their thoughts and just mm. acknowledging what they're, they're saying and not putting your own thoughts into it. Yeah. And yeah, your own spirituality or anything like that. It's it's just being there for the person. Mm. And it's that's very rewarding. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is really, you know, what doulas are doing yeah, too, isn't that's it? that's it. Yeah. But our role as a doula is a bit, bit more <clears throat> in depth, <clears throat> however, but... The volunteer role that. for pal care is, is just that sitting and being mm. and supporting. Yes, so valuable. Um, I think we wanted to um, also make sure we mentioned uh, the nature of palliative care too. Yes. Um, and that uh, it's got a bad rap over the years. Yeah. <laughs> I know in the States they separate. Palliative care is um, different to hospice. So in hosp- they have these two, two different... Um, uh, classifications. So hospice is basically, um, you know, the end of life care where someone is dying or is certainly um, not receiving any active treatment. Whereas palliative care is more like a supportive care um, where they, it's more intervention for quality of life. So if someone's receiving um, chemo and they might be uh, or, or any kind of treatment, um, or their and their function might be dropping down a little bit. Then palliative care, the, the team that'll come in and say, "Look at your house," and say, "Well, perhaps we can make these modifications." Or have you tried this, uh, you know, meditation or um, uh, this this drug or that sort of thing that that will yeah. support you more as you're still receiving treatment. So, um, I think in Australia, people hear the word palliative care and think oh, you're telling me there's nothing more you can do for me and you're sending me home to die, Um, which is unfortunate because palliative care has been trying to change that image for a long time, 10 years at least. Um, And we're still having difficulty getting that message across and it's probably because we don't talk about it enough. People aren't talking about any of this enough. Yeah, that's right. And Mm. yes, that's right. Whereas the doctors, it would it was it's recommended as soon as a person is known to have a life limiting condition, they, it's really good for them to yes. look into palliative care rather yep. than leaving it to the last yes. two weeks of life because Absolutely. that's not very helpful. Yeah. And people, um, from my experience and from my education with pal care as a volunteer, people can pop in and out of mm. palliative care support. Absolutely. So they might be in there and they might be travelling very well for a time and then they'll plateau for a while and they'll be doing okay. So they've popped out of the service, but when yes. they need to, they can go back yeah. into that yeah. service. So yeah. it's really important to know those things. Yes, it is. Uh, sadly, the um, we I don't think the funding is adequate for palliative care and so the palliative care teams are a bit limited in how many patients they can accept mm. or, or even get around to. So even in an ideal world, yes, they would go and see somebody who's just been diagnosed, um, have a chat with them and see, you know, and basically introduce themselves and say, this is what we do. Um, is there anything we can do for you right now? No, that's okay. And we'll keep them on, keep you on our books and maybe check in every six weeks. But the funding currently is that they don't have the capacity to do that, but they, they do. I mean, our, our the, the local palliative care teams around the northeast are wonderful. Yeah, they really are. They, but they they are limited in what they're able yeah to 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 provide. And the palliative care side of things, like the nurses and the 
the social workers are in the medical role and the volunteers are the yes. the um, supportive role as in just being there to support the person when their carers are away so that they're covering yeah. that, mm. to just be with them. However, the doula's role is the non-medical role that yeah. we can provide we can be part of their te- that person with a life-limiting condition. Yeah. We can be part of their team. Yes, it's So we can co- coordinate a whole lot of different yep. things. Yeah. Um, the, the great thing about the PAL care team is also that it has on its, in its, um, in its ranks people like social workers yeah. and um, uh, so pastoral, think, care. Yeah, pastoral care. So so they can off, they can come at you, you know, in a holistic way. Yeah. And um, offer services across a broad range rather than just the medical, even though they are there for to help with drugs and, and that sort of thing. They can also, I know um, for Bill, he was um, uh, trying to access his super um, before he died. And so the, one of the social workers from Palacare came along, she got all the paperwork sorted out, we talked to her and then she, she got it moving and pushed it through. And it was great because, you know, I didn't have the capacity. I was too busy looking after him mm. <laughs> to to be worried too much. Oh, and, and busy organising a wedding. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. To, to be worried about all that, and it was great to um, to have somebody else who knew the system could just get it done without you know having to wade through um, all the ins and outs of of that process. Yeah, and we must say that Rose got married. How many days before Bill died? Uh, Ten days. Ten days. Yeah. 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 So that was pretty special. It was. Too. It was very special. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I'll just mention that it's five years today since we met. Oh, that's yeah. lovely. Congratulations. <laughs> so we've got the little candle. Yeah, oh, which is really now. beautiful yeah. today. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, what else do we need to say about palliative care? So I think that my message would always be don't be afraid of it. Find out about what it can do for you and yeah. don't think that it's a death sentence. Um Get get into the into the system early, so that um, if and when you need them, those people will be old friends, familiar to you, and you've already had a chat and you know what they can offer, and you've, you're already thinking, ah, oh, yes, look, they might be able to help me here. Yeah, yeah. think of them as part of your team, including us as yeah. doers, <laughs> but think of them as as part of that group of people around you, and. It's like Rose was saying, it's better to know everybody mm. that you're not having yes. strangers coming yeah, in. Yeah. So if, yeah. you know, you're needing support and um, get a referral to you, from your doctor to them. Um, and it can, it, it's definitely aimed at improving your quality of life. And, yeah. so, and there has been some research, and I don't know, I, don't, I think it's a small study, but um, there is some evidence to say that it actually extends the, your life. You know, there, yeah. So there has been some, some evidence that good, good quality palliative care has actually managed to um, extend the person's expectat- life expectancy Which anyway. is wonderful. And, and with good quality. You don't want, just, you don't, don't want to prolong somebody's dying. You, no, you, want, you want to extend your quality of life so that you can be around for the wedding or the, the baby or, or the anniversary or whatever it is that yeah. you're, you're trying to hold out for, you know, this yeah. Christmas or whatever. Oh, I must, yeah, I had a, I was, I volunteered as a volunteer pal of care. I also helped another lady to, um, sell things 
on eBay by swap and sell so that she could fund herself to be doing more things. So that was really good. I dropped around (laughs) to her place and she had a real drive to be um, supporting people in in a non-profit organisation. So so that's how she did it. So that was really good. It was lovely to help her do that and really nice to know um, about her life. So we yeah, had this yeah. big chat about her life as what well. So that was it? really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was lovely. And she, I got some really nice texts back when she sold it and it was all exciting. So mm. that was that was a lovely part of being volunteer too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we've got our newsletter coming out this afternoon, um, instagematters.com. That's it, isn't it? And we've got a <laughs> drinks at the doorway. Yeah, we've got drinks the at the doorway on, in a couple on. of days' time. But if you're listening to this after that, it'll be over and done, and you you will have missed it. But we yeah. have we have one every month at the end of the month. That's right. Check our um, website for more details. Uh, mm. What else do we need to? Well, I think um, that's promote. It for I think today. that's good. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for listening. Yeah. Thank you, and have a great day. Thanks, Nick. See ya. Thanks, Rose. Thank you so much for joining us. It's our hope that you'll keep these conversations going. You'll keep talking about the topics that take us to the edges of life and death. For more information or to ask a question, go to our website, endstagematters.com.au. We look forward to you joining us next time on The Talking Dead.